Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to the Urban Village Sermon Podcast. It is good to be with you today. I am finishing up. Uh, we're slightly off with the other uh, sites, the site that I'm usually at at UBC West, uh, but still with the sermon series about what does it mean to be neighbors. And so um, reflecting on that in <clears throat> a moment. But first, let's read the passage that I will be focusing on. Uh, this comes from Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. May God's blessing be on the reading and living out of this word. I will be preaching this sermon on Halloween. And whenever uh, Halloween comes around, especially since I have been at Urban Village, I think of a particular story. I'm sure I've told the story in previous sermons, but I don't know if I've preached it uh, at UVC West. I don't know when this was, probably about two or three years into Urban Village's existence, so 2011 or 12 or so. And Whenever you start a church, of course, you are wanting to do absolutely everything you can to get the word out there about this new community of faith. And so we live in a part of the South Loop in Chicago that is very, very popular among trick-or-treaters. We usually will have, and I'm not exaggerating here, anywhere between 500 and 1,000 trick-or-treaters come by. So we stock up on lots and lots of candy. And so uh, the church planter slash evangelist in me thought, how, how can we take advantage of so many people, children, parents coming by our door wanting uh, a treat? So we had, again, in the early days of Urban Village, these little cards about the size of a business card, and it would have a short little slogan on it. And on the back of it, it would have information about where we were located and what time we worshiped. So I thought, what would it look like for us, for me, to, in addition to putting in a little Snickers or uh, whatever it was we were giving away that year, I also included one of these cards in these bags so that the kid will get candy and then maybe the parents are going through the candy and they see this card like, oh, what a great church. I'm going to check it out on their website. That was the plan. So pretty quickly, I had my uh, bowl of candy and I had the cards. And pretty quickly, I realized this may not have been such a great idea after all, because I would put the candy in the bag and I would put the card in the bag. But what I didn't count on was children, when they have their bag, they will look down in the bag to see exactly, all right, what exactly has this family given me? 
And so when they do, when they looked, the card, of course, is going to stick out because nobody else is giving business cards to trick-or-treaters. So I put them both in the bag. The kid would look in the bag. They would only see the business card thinking, who is this guy who's not giving out candy? He's only giving out these silly business cards. And the look on some of the kids' faces was what is this that you have given to me? And I would try to say to them, I put candy in there too, but I don't know if they believe me. And so this happened several times among kids and it made me realize, I think it's time to bail on this, putting the business card along with the candy into these bags. I am sure to this day, some of these kids thought, this family, this house is a lousy, not only just a lousy trick-or-treater, or house to go trick-or-treating, maybe the parents also thought, who's putting these cards in this bag? And so they might have also thought, what a lousy neighbor (laughs) that they are not participating in the way that one normally does when you have kids come by for trick-or-treating. And so as we close out this sermon series about uh, what does it mean to be a neighbor, we have looked at uh, two weeks ago, we looked at you know, what does it mean? Who, who are our neighbors? How do we define neighbors? Last week, I wasn't, uh, I was out of town, but the guest pastor talked about what does it mean to love our neighbors? And then this time I'm reflecting on how should we actually be neighbors? What does it look like to be neighbors? How do we live it out to, to be neighbors? And clearly putting business cards in bags like this at Halloween is not one of those things that I would recommend to you. But What can we do? What are our actions? How do we live this out once we have identified, once we have been inspired by God to love our neighbors? How do we do do it? How do we actually be neighbors? Well, I think Jesus gives us an idea, perhaps, of how we might do this in our passage today. And I think in a way that might seem simplistic, but I think is really powerful. And I think it's not done often enough. So we're looking at this story of Zacchaeus, and you may know the passage, you may know the story, you may know the song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, a song that has been sung at many a Bible camp over the years. But sometimes when we take a story and put it into children's songs, we lose a little bit of the impact of what's going on here. So in the passage, we read that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. So he's almost there. And along the way, he is keeping up this habit of his, annoying habit probably in some opinions, this habit of interacting with what society deems as undesirables. So that would be uh, children, a blind beggar, and now Zacchaeus. So now why is Zacchaeus an undesirable? Um, And... Well, it's, I've talked about tax collectors before in previous sermons. So, and I used to say that tax collectors, you might be, you might compare them anyway to used car salesmen. Like think of people who aren't trusted by society, but I've stopped saying that because I've looked more and more at surveys that show who are people who are trusted in society and clergy actually are declining pretty quickly. So, hey, it might be a clergy person, somebody who is not trusted, but there was a reason why they weren't trusted. What often happened in Roman times is tax collectors, they would 
take, they would go, they were sent by Rome to go into these villages to collect taxes from the individuals. But the tax collectors wouldn't just charge them what Rome expected. Tax collectors would add kind of a surcharge, as it were, and then skim a little off the top for themselves. People knew they were doing this and they were kind of helpless. So nobody liked the tax collectors because of the way that they cheated normal people uh, in these villages. So we can imagine that Zacchaeus probably only has a small circle of friends. Uh, in, those, in that small circle, it might be some minor Roman officials, but actually they may not even be friends. Maybe Zacchaeus is essentially paying them to hang out with him. So outside of that circle, he's got mostly enemies. So we can imagine it's probably a pretty lonely existence. He's wealthy, the text tells us, but that only partially compensates for isolation. But we can't fully stereotype here Zacchaeus only as a tax collector. He's obviously searching for something. I mean, he's willing to expose himself to ridicule. He, he runs, which is an undignified thing to do in the society. He climbs a tree, which emphasizes his shortness. And so we can also imagine people who are there along the road watching Jesus come through, maybe take delight in seeing this Zacchaeus, this guy that they don't like, climbing this tree putting himself in ridicule, and yet something in Zacchaeus is compelling him to do so. Jesus sees him, and then, as always, Jesus does what people don't expect him to do. This dreaded, hated tax collector, Jesus sees him, calls him out, and invites himself over. So when we look at this text, we can focus on lots of different things. Certainly, we can focus on Zacchaeus's transformation. Here's somebody who was hated, probably somebody who was unethical. And because of his interaction with Jesus, he totally transforms who he is and tells people, I'm going to give away so much money because of what I have done in the past. So it's a perfectly good way to look at this passage and to see, especially as we tie it into what it means to be a neighbor, and so we tie it into, you know, what can we, how can we help our neighbor in this way? But what I want to focus on is a simple one word that the text tells us what Jesus says in this passage. So again, verse one, Jesus is on his way. So he's not going to stop off. He wouldn't plan on stopping off in Jericho. But instead, verse five, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. I must stay at your house today. That's the word I want to focus on. Jesus wants to stay. Jesus isn't just going to do a rush by, shake a hand, have a quick conversation. Jesus isn't going to wave from a distance. Jesus is not going to text Zacchaeus. He's going to stay. He's going to invite himself over to Zacchaeus's house, which is going to be good for Zacchaeus because so many people aren't fans of his, but instead Jesus wants to stay there and perhaps begin to build a relationship with him. When I think about this, one of the first people I thought of was Brian Stevenson. You may know uh, or heard of Brian Stevenson. He's the founder and executive director of the Equal Justice Initiative, which is a human rights organization in Montgomery, Alabama, do many, many uh, really wonderful things. Uh, you may have seen the movie or read the book, Just Mercy. I've been fortunate enough to hear Brian speak in person a couple of times, uh, and he talks, whenever he talks to individuals, or at least the two times I've heard him, he makes four points because he wants 
his audience. He wants the goal of those in the audience. The goal should be, he says, to change the world in lots of different ways. He focuses on the sinful amount of incarcerated individuals that we have in the United States today. He calls it a crisis of incarceration. One statistic, one in three black male babies today will go to prison if this trend continues. So he talks about four expectations if we want to change the world. And the number one thing, this is the thing that sticks out to me whenever I think about it, is what he calls proximity. And this is from his speech. He says, get proximate to people who are excluded, such as the poor and neglected. There is power in proximity. We can't wait until we have something to offer. Something wonderful is waiting when we get proximate. Live an engaged life. He says, answers come in being proximate. And I love the way that that's phrased. In other words, I think he is saying you need to go somewhere, especially somewhere where the marginalized, the unheard in our society are living and stay like Jesus did. Go to a place where people might raise an eyebrow, shake their head, have doubts about who you are, to go somewhere like that and stay hang out, spend some time. And I think that gets at what it means to be a neighbor. I can give you a laundry list of the kinds of things that the actions that we can do. But sometimes when we think about ourselves as neighbors, we might think I'm going to bring something over to somebody, a gift of some kind, uh, help them out. And that's all well and good. That's, that's great. But are we actually staying? Are we building relationships? Are we hanging out in that way? So a couple weeks ago, um, I went to Maywood, which is a suburb just west of River Forest where our church is. And I've uh, gotten to know um, Anthony Clark, who lives in Oak Park, another nearby suburb. Anthony's a teacher, an activist. He is the director of an organization called Suburban Unity Initiative. And one of the things that Suburban Unity Initiative has done in recent months is to install these community fridges in places in the area. And they are essentially a a refrigerator, a big refrigerator that they place, and people can donate food to put in the refrigerator. And if someone is in need, you just simply go and take out what you need from the refrigerator. No questions asked, no money exchanges hands. Um, And so I met with Anthony a couple couple weeks ago, and he invited me to come to the dedication of a new community fridge in Maywood. And it happens to be located at the Hampton House in Maywood. For those who don't know, uh, Maywood is where Fred Hampton spent his part of his childhood and his teen years. Fred Hampton, member of the Black Party in the 1960s, and was the one of the main subjects of the movie that came out last year, Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, Fred's uh, son, Fred Hampton Jr., and uh, Fred Hampton Jr.'s mother, uh, Akuya Jerry, are doing their best to make the Hampton House a place of historical significance. So they have an effort called Save the Hampton House. And so this new community fridge is located at the Hampton House. So the house is only located about two miles or so from the church. So I went with um, Shelby Husky from our church and we went to this uh, dedication. And as we were there, 
saw the fridge. In addition to that, they also have a, a pantry for non-perishable food items that people can just come and uh, take what they need and donate if they can as well. And the thing that struck me about being there was I didn't, we didn't necessarily do anything. We didn't, to be honest, we didn't even donate any food because I think sometimes that's what happens when a church wants to be in a community where the marginalized live, where those who have not been heard in our society uh, reside and churches will maybe do a fundraiser or they'll do a drive. And we're doing actually at our church right now, we're raising or asking people to donate socks for people who are experiencing homelessness. So these are, again, these are all good things to do, but it struck me as I was there and we were there, got there around four o'clock. It's supposed to start at four and we waited and waited and didn't start really to like four thirty, four forty-five. But it, we, all we did was just stand there. We were staying, we were proximate and just getting a sense of what does it mean to be in this neighborhood and then finally, when it started later on, and uh, Akui Jerry, again, Fred Hampton's uh, fiance, when she spoke, one of the things she said was, everybody's not a revolutionary, but anybody can do a revolutionary act. And I think staying, being proximate, hanging out with our neighbors, that is one of the first things that we can do to be a neighbor. Not just go to a place and go for a short time and then go back to where it is, back to our bubbles perhaps, back to where it's safe, back to the familiar, back to where we are more comfortable. But where can you go as a neighbor that puts you in a place where you have to stay, as Jesus did, and be in a place where you are proximate and close literally hanging out, not virtually, and see what happens. How might you change? What do you learn? How will that affect you and how you become and live out what it means to be a neighbor? That is something that could be considered revolutionary, I think. It may seem simple, and yet at the same time, it can be a challenge, especially if we're so used to like, I've got to do this act to make it seem like I am a good person. Sometimes just standing there and watching and listening. And I think that's especially true, perhaps uh, for white people, it's important to do that. If you're in a community where there's predominantly people of color to just simply listen and not try to do and insert yourself, that can be one of the most revolutionary things that one can do. And I think it's how we be a neighbor so that we're not just dropping treats off to people who are coming by, but we hang out and we stay and we listen as Jesus did. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening. And I hope that you will continue to check back in with our Podbean page so that we can see um, how we might help you in your own faith life. So until then, friends, may the peace of Christ be with you.